Well, um, as we uh, spend some time in the Word this morning, by the way, uh, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6 here in a moment, verses 9 through 13. You will find that to be tremendously familiar. That is uh, where Matthew records Jesus teaching his disciples the, the Lord's Prayer. So Matthew chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I'll uh, acknowledge the elephant in the room, and that is, uh, in case some of you have not heard, um, on Wednesday I announced to the congregation that uh, my family and I believe that God is calling us to go to the western suburbs of Minneapolis to plant a church there, much like the one we have here. And so I know that we're all going through uh, the emotions of a pastor moving on, as well as our family going through the emotions of moving away from a, a congregation that we've known and loved for 15 years. Uh, we'll be setting up camp in the western suburbs of Minneapolis, home of Tonka trucks and snow, and um, we are excited about that. But uh, it's also really hard for us as well. And as I thought about um, being your pastor in this month that we have together before we move, um, I asked the Lord just how, how can I pastor you uh, as, uh, as we prepare to move away? And so the... The answer uh, I felt the Lord give to me was that I would focus this morning on God's vision for the world. And we'll pan out and think real big. And I think that will help us in three ways. Uh, number one, as I speak from the scriptures about what I believe God's vision for the world is, I think you will understand our primary reason for moving on and for going to plant a new church in the Minneapolis area. Number two, I think as we talk about God's vision for the world, it will give direction for you and what should be on your heart and mind in the wake of our transition. And then number three, I think talking about God's vision from the world, particularly from the Lord's Prayer, will highlight the tremendous need for prayer for our church. And so... That's where we're headed today. And I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. So go ahead and look with me there. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will come be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have revealed so clearly in your word your love for us and your compassion for us and that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and lifts those 
who are crushed in spirit. And that you will never leave us or forsake us. And that you use even the hard things we go through for your glory and for our good. And so we thank you for being a God who loves his people and cares for his people through thick and thin. And we do pray, Lord, that you will bless our church uh, and that you will bless even this time right now as we look at the Lord's Prayer. Would you speak to our hearts? Give us hope. And even joy as we think about your vision for this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, if you're looking for a word of the day, it's going to be glory. Glory. Um, in thinking about God's vision for the world, I think it's good to start with the reality that uh, all sorts of different cultures throughout all the history of the world have had their own vision for the world or their own understanding of the world. In fact, sociologists would tell you, historians would tell you that virtually every culture throughout all time and history have had some sort of story or some sort of narrative through which they understand three of the most fundamental questions that uh, the human heart asks. What are those questions? Number one, why are we here? Every culture through all, all time, all over the world, has asked that question. Why do we exist? What's the meaning of life? Uh, another question is what went wrong? Everybody everywhere has recognized that the world is not the way it seems it should be. So what went wrong? And number three... How will things be made right? Every culture everywhere throughout time has had answers to these questions. Why are we here? What went wrong? How will things be made right? And this morning what I want to do is give far more brief than I'd like uh, answers to those first two questions um, and then spend the bulk of our time looking at the way the Bible answers that third ever important question. How will things be made right. And in so doing, we'll see God's vision for the world from our passage this morning. So first, let me just briefly answer those first two questions that, that all these cultures have tried to answer throughout the uh, existence of the world. Number one, why are we here? If we look at what the Bible says, I think you can't find a better answer to that question than what the Westminster divines came up with um, uh, it, when they wrote the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question number one being, what is the chief end of man? It's another way of asking, why are we here? And the answer that they came up with in surveying the entire Bible is that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I would like to preach on just those two things forever, but we got to keep moving this morning. But that's the way the Bible answers that first question. Why are we here? For the glory of God. And our own joy as well. Okay, number two, what went wrong? According to the Bible, we know that Adam and Eve fell into sin. Humanity rebelled against God and plunged the world into sin and misery. And what's so interesting about what went wrong is the way that Paul describes it. The Apostle Paul describes it in Romans 1 verse 23. He says that, we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What a powerful way to talk about sin and, and the fall of mankind. 
We're made for the glory of God. And what happened is, in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, is we exchanged, humanity exchanged the glory of the immortal God for things that cannot satisfy us, that cannot fulfill us, that cannot do the things only God can do. And in addition to that, in that rebellion, we not only can't be satisfied by anything in this world, but we deserve God's judgment for our rebellion. We deserve his righteous wrath. So why are we here? For the glory of God. What went wrong? We exchanged the glory of God for created things, and we deserve God's judgment. And number three, how will things be made right? And here's what I believe the Bible teaches uh, about that question. How will things be made right? And what I love about what we'll see in God's word here is it's not only the most beautiful story, but it's the only one that's true. Perhaps that's what makes it so beautiful. How will things be made right in this world? Here's the answer I believe we get from the scriptures. God in Christ is making his glory known once again by bringing his kingdom through the church by the power of the gospel. This is the big, grand, beautiful, and true story that all the scriptures teach centered on Christ and what God is doing in Christ. God in Christ. How will things be made right? God in Christ is making his glory known among the nations by bringing his kingdom through the church by the power of the gospel. And so we're going to focus on these four things this morning. If you're in the youth ministry, you're going to be like, Matt, you taught us about this back in like February. Yes, I did. And we're going to do it again. So number one, we're talking about God in Christ is making his glory known. Think about this. All through the Old Testament and the New, we see so many places where there are prophecies about God's glory being known, about the nations coming and glorifying God once again. Remember, why were we created? For the glory of God. And so once again, God will make his glory known. Think of Psalm 86, verse 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Think of Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This continues on into the New Testament. Think of what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 15, verse 9. He's talking about why Christ came, and he says, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. It's everywhere. That what God is doing, his vision for the world, is the world remade in a way that his glory is known, that the nations glorify God. And we even see this when Jesus stopped to teach the disciples how to pray, to give them a pattern for prayer. Interestingly enough, the very first petition, the very first thing we're to ask has to do with this very concept. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to his disciples and to us today, Pray then like this, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. That's the first thing that Jesus teaches us to pray, that God's name would be hallowed, honored, uh, glorified, seen as set apart and holy. And the reason that Jesus teaches us to pray that is because that's what brings renewal to the world when people 
glorify God's name, honor God, and give him the glory that he is owed. So God is making his glory known once again. You see, and the reason he's doing that is he, he knows what we need. He knows what the world needs. The world needs to see and honor his glory once again. Because he's the creator of all things, he knows how to fix this world, this broken world. He knows his glory must be known again. I, I've told you this before, but there's this story about Henry Ford when one day when the um, Model T factory, the assembly line broke down. And so they had, Henry Ford had his men trying to get the assembly line back up and running for days and they couldn't fix it. So then Henry Ford decided to call a man named Charlie Steinmetz who was the man who actually designed and built the factory. And he said, Charlie, I can't get this thing running. Will you please come and help us out? So Charlie Steinmetz comes to the factory and he takes his toolkit Walks in, walks across the room, goes to one little part, opens up a part of the machinery, tinkers in there for about five minutes, shuts the door, hits the button, and once again, the assembly line is running. He's fixed it. So Henry Ford is celebrating, and Steinmetz says, I'll send you a bill. About a week later, Henry Ford gets a bill in the mail for $10,000, which is a lot of money right now. So back then, it was like astronomical. So Henry Ford calls Charlie Steinmetz, and he says, um, really appreciative, really appreciate what you did, but $10,000 seems like a lot of money for a little tinkering. And so Steinmetz says, all right, well, I'll issue you a new bill. That's fair. And so about a week later, Henry Ford gets a new bill, and it says, tinkering, $10. Knowing where to tinker, $9,990. Because he made it, he knew how to fix it. He knew how to make it right. And because God has created all things, he knows how this world will be made new. He knows how things will be made right. When the whole world once again sees and knows his glory. Well, how's he going to do that? How is God making his glory known? Look at the very next Petition in the Lord's Prayer, chapter Matthew 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right there, Jesus shows us how God's name will be hallowed. He shows us how God's glory will be known among the nations. His kingdom will come. And what does that mean? That means his will will be done. So God is making his glory known by bringing his kingdom, bringing his kingdom. And when we think about the word kingdom, you and I usually, if we hear the, the word kingdom, we think of a place. But the way Jesus is using this word, the way the New Testament uses this word is referring to rule and reigning. That God is bringing his righteous rule. He's bringing things back under his control, under his rule once again. And things that are under the rule of a righteous God, flourish. So he's bringing his kingdom. This is why Jesus and the apostles talked about the kingdom coming all throughout Jesus' earthly ministry and in the life of the apostles, such a focus on the kingdom. Uh, Jesus said in, in Mark 1.15, at the beginning of his ministry, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The rule and reign of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
And think about the way Jesus would connect preaching about this kingdom coming and things being made right. Matthew 9, 35, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. There's this connection between the kingdom coming and things being made right, things being healed. Because that's what the world needs, to be back under the righteous rule of our glorious God. You know, all of what's sad and hard and ugly about this world is, comes directly from sin and directly from humans, humanity's self-rule. When we rule ourselves, we ruin ourselves. That's what the world teaches us, and that's what the Bible makes clear as well. And so God is bringing his kingdom, his rule, back to this world. And as he does, things are done according to his will, here on earth as they are in heaven. And so things like injustice and poverty and hunger and racism and oppression are addressed, they're pushed back, they're dealt with. Because when the kingdom comes, God's will is done. In fact, I love the way Sally Lloyd-Jones captures this in the Jesus Storybook Bible. She says, God's kingdom is where God's will is done. So if you're a Christian, if you're following Christ, that means the kingdom has invaded you. If you're a Christian family, a family following Christ, the kingdom has come to your family. This church, as we're gathered here to glorify God and do his will, it's because the kingdom has come. The way Jesus teaches about this kingdom, this rule and this reign comes is that it starts and then it becomes more and more visible. It spreads. Just think about uh, the way computers and the Internet have started slow and then taken over the world in many ways. Uh, did you know that in 1984, only 1,000 computers uh, were on the Internet? 1984, 1,000 computers on the Internet. Uh, a decade later, 30 million computers on the internet. Today in 2021, 4.9 billion computers or devices connecting to the internet. And just think about the way that that has impacted the world for better and for worse. But God's kingdom is even greater. God's kingdom is even bigger. God's kingdom is being made visible. His rule and his reign. And as, as he makes things right in the hearts of people, and in places in the world, they see his wisdom. They see how glorious he is. They see that under his righteous rule, humanity and everything else flourishes. He's bringing his kingdom. So the question then is, how is God bringing his kingdom? He's making his glory, glory known by bringing his kingdom. How is he bringing his kingdom? The answer, I believe, the scriptures teach, is through the church. God is making his glory known by bringing his kingdom through the church. Think about those next few verses of the Lord's Prayer. Right after being taught to pray that the name of God would be hallowed and that God's kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, they're taught to pray for themselves. They're taught to pray God will meet their daily needs. They're taught to pray God will forgive their daily sins. They're taught to ask for daily protection from the evil one. Why? Because they, those disciples, represent the church. 
And the kingdom is coming through the church. The Westminster Divines believed this. In chapter 25, section 2 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, it talks about the visible church being made up of believers and their children, and it says it is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. This is why Jesus had such an emphasis on the church, said such profound things about the church. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Ephesians 3, verse 10, Paul says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will now be made known. In the book of Acts, which is a bunch of church planting journeys, missionary journeys, we see this paradigm uh, that is very clearly laid out in Acts 14, 23, or 21 through 23. And what you see is Paul goes and he preaches the gospel, and to those who respond, he makes them into disciples, and then he appoints elders. Boom, boom, boom. Preaches the gospel, makes disciples, appoints elders, and then moves on. What has he done? He's planted a church. Why? Because the kingdom is coming through the church. I mean, think about what, what a Bible-believing, faithful local church is. It's a group of people who believe that God is glorious. It's a group of people who trust God and want to be under His righteous rule. And they're gathered together by God, for God. That's what a church is. A church, what is our mission? It's to make disciples. When we're made into disciples, we're being taught how to rely on the Holy Spirit and learn how to live according to God's kingdom, according to God's righteous rules, so that we might flourish, but also so that we might then be salt and light into the community around us, so that more and more of the community around us might see the glory of God and how things flourish under His righteous rule. This is how the kingdom is coming, through you and me and what God is doing in us uh, my friend and mentor likes to say the church is the only institution designed and ordained by God for the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal of all things. Because as we live under God's righteous rule, it spills out to the community around us as we make more and more Disciples, so God is making his glory known by bringing his kingdom through the church. And how do we as the church do all that we're called to do? How do we make disciples? How do we worship God? How do we bring uh, the good news to the community? How do we live and be salt and light? We do it all by the power of the gospel. God is making his glory known by bringing his kingdom through the church by the power of the gospel. Remember when I read uh, the, the passage in Matthew and we stopped at verse 13 and there was, it's like somebody hit a dissonant chord because we didn't finish the Lord's Prayer, you know, because that part's not in the scriptures. It was la added later by presumably the apostles. Well, think about the end of the Lord's Prayer. Now we'll get that chord wrapped up. The end of the Lord's Prayer, as we pray it, says this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God wants us to do all that we do by the power of the gospel. Think of Romans 1.16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Think about what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, 5 and 6. He's talking about the, the gospel, and the Colossians have received the gospel, he says, which has come to you, 
as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it is also as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. It's the gospel is the power. It's the gospel that was bearing fruit. It's the gospel that must fuel everything that we do. That's why we talk about being gospel-centered. And the gospel is the good news. It's not an announcement about what you can do to be made right with God. It's the announcement of what God has done, has done in Christ to make all who believe right with God. The good news of the gospel, that although we are sinners, we have rebelled, we have not acknowledged God's glory or his rule. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve judgment, every single one of us. But the good news is God is glorious and merciful, and he has sent his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life in our place, and then to die a sinner's death in our place, to be buried and then to be raised from the dead so that every single one of us, no matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've failed, if we put our faith in him, we are forgiven of all of our sins. We are declared righteous. We are promised eternal life, not because of anything we've done, but only because of what he has done, the good news of the gospel, the gospel through which we're promised a new record that we're set free from the penalty of sin. We'll never pay for our sins. We're promised a new heart, as was prophesied in Ezekiel 36, where God said he would give us a new heart, a new spirit he would put within us. And when you believe, when we believe, uh, it gives us this new heart so we can love and trust God. We can see his glory. We can obey him because we know he's good. Sin will not have domineering power over us anymore, as Paul says in Romans 6, 14. So we're promised a new record, a new heart, but also a new world. When Christ returns and finishes making all things new, we'll live in this new world that will be perfect, fully remade and restored. And we'll live in perfect harmony with God and with one another. Listen to the words of John in Revelation 21. He says, God will dwell with his people and they will be his people and God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. This, these are the promises of the gospel because Jesus has died for our sins and We've been raised from the dead. You and I who believe know for sure we can have a new record, a new heart, and we get a new world when he returns. That's the good news of the gospel. And so God in Christ is making his glory known by bringing his kingdom through the church by the power of the gospel. Now, how does that speak into our current situation. Number one, I think you then could deduce from what I just said what our primary reason and the lion's share of our reasoning for going to the western suburbs of Minneapolis to plant a church is. Because we want to see the glory of God known in Minneapolis. We want to see the kingdom come in Minneapolis. We want to start a church in that area that will seek to believe and preach the gospel. And we believe in the centrality of the church in God's vision for the world. And we believe that God has called us there 
to start this new church. That's why we're going. How does this speak to you? It says you double down on your commitment to this church. It says you do everything you can to support this church. It says that you step up and volunteer like you never have before for the sake of this church. And it says you are patient for this church to receive a new senior pastor. And it says that you are hopeful because the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it says that you are excited about the future of this church which I happen to think will be so good, in a few years we're going to look back and be like, man. That's what I think this says to you. God is making his glory known by bringing his kingdom through the church, and this church is part of that. And so believe the gospel and be committed to this church. And number three, I think this also speaks to the tremendous need for prayer. Again, notice, after Jesus says... To pray for God's name to be hallowed. To pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Notice again what he says in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So Jesus says pray that God's name would be hallowed. Pray that the kingdom would come and then pray for yourselves. Pray that God will meet your daily needs. Pray that God will continue to forgive those sins as we know that he will because of Christ. And pray that God would protect you from the evil one. So I want to challenge you as your pastor, while I'm still your pastor, to be praying daily. Uh, Steve announced that there's going to be a weekly prayer meeting. You should be there. And you should be praying daily. Pray, pray, pray. And finally, as you think about these things, about God making his glory known, by bringing his kingdom through the church, by the power of the gospel, just think at the very heart of the gospel is what? It's the love of God that he has for his people, that he's had for his people throughout all eternity. Why would God do that? You know, um, sometimes people say, why does God only save some? Why does God only save some? And the late, great R.C. Sproul used to ask a much better question. Why does God save any? Because of love that he's had for all eternity. Love for his people. That's what Paul says in Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So as we marinate in the love of God. That's how all these things come together. That's how we understand the cross. The greatest picture of the glory of God is him rescuing his people, whom he loves, through the king who died for his people, died for his church. So soak in the love of God. I've told you this before too, but I'm going to tell you again. I have these friends, one of whom is now with the Lord. Ted and Tim, they grew up and they had bunk beds. And uh, their dad, every morning, would come in and wake them up in the very same way. Every single morning, he would kind of slam their door open and say, Good morning, gentlemen. 
It's time to get up. It's going to be a great day. Every morning. Boom. Good morning, gentlemen. It's time to get up. It's going to be a great day. Every single morning. And one time he came in. Boom. Good morning, gentlemen. It's time to get up. It's going to be a great day. And as he was walking out, one of the boys, the one on the top bunk, said to the boy on the bottom bunk, why does he say that every day? And their dad heard that comment. So he turned around and he came back in. And he looked at the boy on the top bunk, eye level. And he says, do you know why it's going to be a great day? Because sometime today, it's going to sink in. So, sometime today, you're going you're gonna to get it. Sometime today, you're going to realize that your dad is wild about you. reason that God is making his glory known by bringing his kingdom through the church by the power of the gospel is because proven on the cross, our God is wild about us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are wild about us, that you love us, that you have loved us before the foundation of the world. And that you've known every second of our lives. You've even planned each second out for your glory and for our ultimate joy in Christ. And so we thank you, Lord, that your word speaks to us. We pray that we would cling to these promises as we navigate our, my last month here and the coming months in the life of this church. Would you bless UPC? Would you care for UPC? Would you bless the elders and the deacons and the staff and all the ministry leaders? Would you bless each and every member and regular attender? Would you pour out your spirit in powerful and fresh ways? Give this church its daily bread. Forgive this congregation as they forgive their debtors. Lead this congregation in, in, in temptation. Not in temptation, but deliver this congregation from evil. Oh, Lord, deliver this congregation from evil. We pray these things in Jesus' name.